Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. Many of y'all think you know the story. Uh, Perhaps a lot of you do. Uh, Maybe those who haven't been raised in church or are new to this whole faith thing, this story may be brand new to you, but I'll still bet that a lot of you who know the details of his story are maybe in danger of taking away the wrong application of his story. Who am I talking about? His name is, is Daniel. And for some, his name sort of conjures up, um, you know, fiery furnaces and, and lions. And for others, it might elicit, you know, images of detailed prophecy, charts and dotted lines and cross-references. Growing up, a Sunday school kid, I thought of the book of Daniel's sort of as an adventure story. Um, and I figured the main point was that God would deliver Christians from danger and persecution, you know, if I just had enough faith and courage and, uh, you know, the fire wouldn't harm me, the lions wouldn't eat me. But if that's, if that's Daniel's main point, then um, God might have some uh, explaining to do, you know, Lucy, when it comes to being saved from fiery furnaces and hungry lions, Daniel and his friends aren't examples, they're exceptions. And as far as I know, Daniel and his friends might be the only ones who ever walked out of the fiery furnace unscathed or from the lion's den unscathed. Everybody else perished, um, died a horrible death. So I'll just you know, prepare you now that the big takeaway of this series is not... If we do the right thing, God won't let anything bad happen to us. I wish it was. I wish it was. In fact, sometimes really bad things happen to good and godly people. Uh, In fact, I'm going to lose some people here, but actually choosing holiness, choosing the God path may actually put us at increased risk. Uh, at least as we evaluate those, th- those things by worldly standards. So today we're going to start a six-week series on the book of Daniel that I can't help but draw parallels to life in the GTA for, for Christians in 2023, that we may have to learn to live as exiles in a modern-day Babylon. If, if you want that word or concept unpacked a bit, I I encourage you to listen to last week's teaching on our website or podcast or YouTube channel, because it feels like we live in a world gone a bit haywire, where the moral fabric seems to be decaying in real time. Things that were once, you know, shamefully hidden are now publicly celebrated. The, The previously unimaginable has become 
commonplace. In in a few short decades, our culture's response to Bible-believing Christians has gone from grudging respect to, you know, patronizing pat on the head to kind of an apathy or indifference and, and sometimes even to just outright hostility. And by the way, uh, I wish when I talked last week uh, about living as a minority in a majority culture, man, I wish I'd clarified that because here's this middle-aged white guy telling y'all what it's like to live as a minority um, when there are actual visible minorities in our church who would rightly say, uh, oh, thanks for telling me what it's like to live as a minority, you know? So I hope you understand when I'm talking about living as exiles and I'm talking about living with a minority worldview, a minority ethos and ethic and philosophy. Um, some of you, of course, live with the double whammy of, of being a visible minority and being part of this God minority, this remnant uh, of the kingdom of God. And so being part of a, a, of a country and a culture that wants the kingdom, you could say, but just doesn't want a king. And so Daniel's story begins right off the bat as a story of, of defeat, of uh, 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 God's people being the losers in a culture war, quite literally. And, and yet Daniel never complained. He never whined. He never gave in to despair. He knew that God was in control of who's in control. Even when, you know, the wicked gained an upper hand. In fact, it's the first thing he points out as he begins his story. Here's what he writes in uh, chapter one, verse one to two. We'll do a chapter a week for six weeks. And it says, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and uh, permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia, placed them in the treasure house of his God. So you notice that from Daniel's perspective, it was God who gave Babylon, Babylon, Babylon the victory. It was God who turned the holy things of the temple over to this Nebuchadnezzar. It was God who allowed them to be placed in his treasure house uh, of a pagan God that seemed to just openly mock the God of Israel. Daniel starts his book by emphasizing that, that Babylon's victory over Jew, Jerusalem wasn't like a tragic triumph over, you know, evil over good. It was that, but it was also, it seems, the Lord's will. So don't miss this. From the very first page, Daniel clearly saw that God's hand was in everything that happened. Uh, and if we're honest, I think many of us would admit that we sometimes fear that, that God might not be as big as our Babylon. Um, most of us wouldn't say that exactly out loud, but it's, it's how we feel, it's how we live kind of emotionally and behaviorally. That, that's what makes Daniel's story so important for us today. And it starts with sort of grasping something that we just easily forget, that God is in control of who's in control. And he always has been, always will be. God is bigger 
than our Babylon. Um, if you feel that our culture is, is kind of headed to hell in a handbasket, you're not alone. But I want to remind you, though, I want to, I want to give you some perspective today. Most people have felt like that throughout history. Okay, almost every generation looks back and wonders, what happened to the good old days? And it's, it's human nature. The, the evils of the past tend to fade in our memory while the injustices of today stand out. So, so maybe that's even why the wisest man ever, King Solomon, wrote, do not say why were the old days better than those? For it's not wise to ask such questions. When I read like the cultural critiques of, of spiritual leaders and authors from 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, none of them waxed eloquently about uh, how they were living in an era of righteousness and purity. Like, I'm pretty sure they'd be shocked to learn that their days of evil have now become our good old days, right? A lot of Christians look back at like, say the, the 1950s as sort of the days of like leave it to beaver and the, and the golden era of family values and godly culture. And, and maybe they were if you were in a white middle-class suburb. They were hardly the, the good old days for, I don't know, a black family living in the last vestiges of segregation, an, an indigenous family in Canada separated from your parents, sometimes put in cruel residential programs. So I want you to hear this. It's never been easy to live a godly life. Never has. The pressures and challenges that we face in 2023 are daunting, but they're not new. Um, the specifics are new. Technology, mores, you know, there are new and creative ways to sin. But the, the principles are as old as humanity. I, I hear it was rather tough to live as a Christian in the first century. Um, ask our friends, uh, Kamran and Malika, what it's like to live as a Christian in Iran or Saudi Arabia or China or many other places. It's not illegal to pray yet. <laughs> we can still own a Bible for now. We, we can utter Jesus' name without being tossed into jail. And when we refuse to sort of bow down to the idols of our culture, we may lose our job, we may lose friends, we won't be thrown into a fiery furnace. And that's why Daniel's story is so important. It not only gives us this template to live by, it gives us some perspective too. Because no matter how, th how bad things get for us in 2023, Daniel had it far worse, okay? When it comes to evil, Babylon has no equal. Uh, the Bible says that immediately before Jesus' return, in Revelation, a mighty angel will come down from heaven crying, fallen, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Now that's a strange thing to shout 
because historic Babylon has ceased to exist. And according to biblical prophecy, it is never going to be rebuilt or inhabited again. So why hearken back to a kingdom that's already gone? And I think the answer is simple. It's because Babylon is, is, is representative of something. It is, it is the personification of evil. Even at the end of human history, it will still represent to the angelic hosts the worst of the worst. Like nothing will reach its depths of depravity. Not ISIS, not the Mexican cartels, not Sodom or Gomorrah, not Nazi Germany, not uh, Montreal Canadiens fans. Like, um, to begin with, Babylon's king was a godless ruler named Nebuchadnezzar, and he was an egomaniac, psychotic, unreasonable, incredibly cruel. And so he conquers Jerusalem, he takes the holy items from God's temple and he places them in a temple of his demonic god, Marduk, as a way of, of publicly mocking the God of Israel. And then he builds this 90-foot golden statue as a tribute to his own godlike power. And he demands that everyone bow down to worship it. Uh, those who refused were immediately put to death. Babylon was known for its demonic influences. The, the state-sponsored religion was a satanic uh, core curriculum that was <clears throat> taught in the schools. It included large doses of astrology and the occult. Hey, just side note, folks. Um, don't mess around with astrology, horoscopes, fortune tellers what you're doing is messing around with the occult. And so many Christians are mixing their traditional faith with a belief in psychics and reincarnation and spiritual energy and say that, you know, spirits, spirits can be found in inanimate objects, trees and crystals. And Gen Z has embraced tarot cards, I'm, I'm learning. Just stop it. <laughs> you're... You're more in step with Babylon than you are with Jesus at that point. So back to the story. Here's, here's God's people. Defeated exiles. And Nebuchadnezzar uh, kidnaps, steals, uh, makes POWs of the very best and the brightest. And in order to prepare them for government service, um, maybe even to make them managers over other POWs, slaves... And so Daniel and his three friends, they're forced to um, complete a rigorous three-year study program, which consists of learning the language and literature of the Chaldeans. We'll just put that verse up, the next verse of, of uh, chapter one, verse, uh, uh, there it is, yeah. And designed to certify them as enchanters and magicians and experts in the dark practices of the occult. Now, like our schools have had uh, weird curriculum in the past, I know. But I guarantee you on the worst day, in the worst class, uh, with the worst teacher, you know, my kids were never exposed to anything as godless and flat-out demonic as the standard curriculum in Daniel's classroom. 
And so to make matters worse, Babylon is, is fiercely hostile to the spiritual values that Daniel and his friends hold dear. And one of the very first indignities that they had to endure was a name change. So how many know that names have significance in, in the Bible? They have a meaning, right? So they said something about your character, about your loyalties, about your origin, about your parents' hopes and dreams for you. Daniel, his given name, means God is my judge. And his Babylonian captors immediately changed it to Belshazzar. And you know what that means? Literally translated as uh, Biel's prince, or uh, Biel being the, the title for the demonic god Marduk. It'd be like having my name change from uh, Jonathan, which means, which means God's precious gift. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, to um, uh, Satan's little helper. Uh, is, is, uh, is Pastor Satan's little helper in the office today? No, he's, uh, he's at home working on some spells. So it was, it was Babylon's way of forcing their captives to adopt a new identity, right? A new God. And um, folks, I've, I've made this picture of, for our series. Maybe just put that original uh, uh, title page picture up. It's, it's a it's a 2023 version of Babylon, and I'll admit I'm overstating the case to make a point. The, the GTA is a great place, actually. There's no country I'd rather live. Recently, Canada moved up a couple positions to be called the number two best country in the world to live based on a various quality of life measurements. We're number two. We're, okay, I love Canada. I'm old enough to remember when uh, Toronto's nickname was um, Toronto the Good. Anybody remember, remember that? Yeah. But listen, even though there is, there's no one evil human king behind it. There's not a cabal behind the scenes, uh, and uh, there's not a demon god named Marduk. Um, make no mistake, our new Babylon wants us to adopt a new identity and bow to new gods. And they are gods of consumerism, self, the god of status, sex, comfort, appearance, influence. And yeah, it's more subtle. It's no less anti-God and no less dangerous for our souls. And in some ways, I wish the choice was as simple as rejecting the idol of Nebuchadnezzar uh, and the demon god of, of Marduk. The, the idols of today come at you from every angle. It's the water we swim in. It's the air we breathe. It's a culture that claims good what God has called wrong. And for Daniel and his buddies, even the food they were served attacked their faith, it says in verse eight. Now, look, in terms of being a POW, there are a lot worse positions than being trained for positions of power and influence and to sit at the king's table, right? Daniel and his friends just needed to accept 
the privileges they were offered. They just needed to keep their heads down, so to speak, uh, in order to keep their heads on. And, and to question the king's decisions is not only going to jeopardize Daniel's future, uh, as a, you know, but in pagan Babylon, it would, it would jeopardize his life. And so for reasons not 100% clear, Daniel believed he would defile himself if he took the meat and the drink that was served to him. It was probably the food that had been included in some practice of idolatry. Um, it's possible that accepting it, uh, this gourmet food, just seemed wrong in the light of his people suffering and starving. It was certainly a diet that was rich in foods that were expressly forbidden in the Mosaic law. And it's not as if they had some kosher vending machine, you know, to turn to. So they could either break God's dietary law or starve to death. And, and I, I think it's almost always true. The closer you get to power and influence, the greater the temptation to compromise your integrity. But rather than railing against his captors. Here's what Daniel does. He, he comes up with a, a calm and creative solution. He, he sweet talks their guard into a 10-day a test of vegetables and water. And verse 10 shows the, the risk involved in that simple request. You know, the chief guard says like, the king will literally take my head off if I don't keep you guys, his prized POWs, in good shape. And Daniel said, just give it a try, okay? Give us the Campbell's soup and leafy vegetable diet and a couple bottles of uh, Aquafina. And, and while, you know, you guys get to eat at the keg every night, but just see if we look any worse for wear. And, you know, like, it doesn't take war conditions to be in a war for holiness. If you have been asked, I don't know, to sign off on something unethical, to save your job, to do something unsafe or illegal, to protect your career, fudge the truth, compromise what God is telling you. Sometimes the choice is easy and sometimes uh, not so much. And so verse 15, God steps in. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his friends weren't just healthy. They appeared to be better nourished than everyone else. So their guard lets them skip the king's table for the remainder of their training. Now, before you think they have it pretty good as far as POWs go, I almost hesitate to share this with you. Um, Daniel also had to deal with something that none of my Sunday school teachers ever told me about. And I'm, and I'm sure um, your kids are not going to hear this, okay? Daniel and his friends we're most likely, we're 95% sure about this, according to Bible scholars, suffered the indignity of castration. Uh, they were turned into eunuchs. Now, the book of Daniel doesn't um, explicitly say that, but, but scholars agree that it's strongly implied. Could you imagine if I, if I did learn that in Sunday school with the, with the felt board and the coloring sheets? <laughs> Welcome to Roundup, everyone, especially the men. We're so glad that you're here today. Um, 
Why do scholars think this? Well, verse four describes the kind of men that were brought into the palace, young, attractive, healthy, strong, super educated. If you are a possessive, jealous, evil, mentally unstable king, do you want those guys next door to your legendary harem of wives? So it was common practice, not just uh, in Babylon, but in lots of kingdoms to, to make eunuchs in the palace. And it had the side effect of removing, you know, testosterone-fueled rebellion. In fact, the man in charge of Daniel's training was himself a eunuch. It, it says that in scripture, the chief of eunuchs. And there is other evidence, but maybe the most compelling is that when it comes to Daniel and his friends, there's no mention of a spouse or offspring in the entire book or the rest of scripture. And you got to understand in a, in a Jewish context, that silence is deafening. Um, Lineage was everything. Descendants were everything. It's, It's why barrenness was such a bitter pill in that culture at that time. So for there to be no record of marriage or offspring might be the best proof of them being made eunuchs. And, and all of this to say, how it makes my excuses of how difficult it is to live for God these days sound like pretty lame. And uh, so Daniel was this young man with a bright future. His story starts with him having it all. He was nobility in Jerusalem. And not just any young nobility, nobility but he's, he's part of the cream of the crop, the 1%. First pick on the playground. Teacher's pet. The, the, the kind of young man everyone wanted to be. And then one day, it, it ends. A godless army besieged his homeland. His king surrenders. His, his friends and him are summarily hauled off to a strange land with a strange language to learn demonic curriculum, uh, to eat vegetables. No, it's not the worst thing. <laughs> Um, castration. Maybe it's an understatement to say you have the makings of a horrible, rotten, no good, very bad day. This doesn't sound like a great commercial for following God if you're visiting today because the account of Daniel and his friends make it clear that there are risks to holiness I won't try and tell you that living for the Lord is painless or always fun. Our society may praise idealism. It just rarely tolerates those who live those ideals. And the problems are not just with others, with culture. Often the problem is us. We, we have our own personal idolatries that jeopardize our holiness. I'm trying to I'm trying to suss out the idols in my own life these days. And so Christian today, we should expect nothing less. The world will oppose the things of God. They'll oppose those who seek to live for God. And so maybe you're asking yourself, if there are such risks to holiness, to to righteous living, 
um, to choosing the ways of God, why does the Lord allow such persecution and trials? Why doesn't he make life a little easier for the faithful? And I, I think the first reason that God allows us to face these trials, in fact, I would call them, uh, I don't know, rewards for holiness, is because they are preparation for a spiritual battle that lies ahead. Starting with the first chapter, the book of Daniel goes from one cliffhanger, one no-win situation to another. And a quick scan of the next five chapters reveals more encounters with the psychotic king, killer lions, nightmare visions, fiery cremation furnaces, among other things. Steven Spielberg would like love this material. Each trial leads to a new and greater challenge. And maybe that's the point. Compromise will keep on tempting us as modern exiles. And every choice to stay faithful is preparation for the next battle. Our greatest tendency when when facing today's battles is to wonder why God is abandoning us. And Daniel helps us to understand that the Lord isn't abandoning us. He's preparing us maybe for a greater work in the future. And, And while we don't always know the difference between you know, random tragedies, the the results of a fallen world, there are times when God allows testing and maybe we would have the, the discernment sometimes to tell the difference and even ask, you know, I wonder what the Lord is preparing Paul for. To, to do, to go through that much to go through that much testing, maybe the Lord is preparing, not abandoning. Present trials have the potential to overwhelm you if you don't realize that they may in fact be preparing you for just amazing future purposes. Maybe today's battles are preparation for future ones. And if I hadn't had trials as a pastor's kid, I would not have been ready for the difficulty of vocational ministry. If I had not had the trials I'd had as an associate pastor, I would not have been ready for the role of a lead pastor. You know, the trial is never without purpose. Because of pressures and difficulties, some of us may have said, you know, I'll serve the Lord later. I'll serve the Lord when I'm married or when I have kids or when I am financially secure. Uh, Once I get through this really hard season, forgive me if this sounds harsh. No, you won't. No, you won't. If you aren't preparing for tomorrow's battles with holiness today, you won't be spiritually strong enough to stand for the Lord later. Today's trials are the training ground for tomorrow's Battlefield. The time is, is now to be uncompromised. Later is too late. But I, I want us to um, I want us to have hold these kind of two competing truths at the same time. Yes, life as an uncompromised 
spiritual exile, a follower of, of Jesus, may be harder at times. But the life of Daniel also reveals the provision, the reward, the, the goodness of God um, to the believer. Daniel and his friends chose integrity by going to the salad bar while the others were having prime rib. And they could, they could have eaten that, but 10 days later, was it say, Daniel and the boys were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. God preserved his health. And it also unquestionably means that God preserved their lives before a capricious king who didn't deem them unfit for service and lop off their heads. Check this out though. God also overwhelmingly blessed Daniel and his friends with spiritual gifts. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. Um, and the chapter ends with these young men receiving supernatural favor. They were, they were made 10 times wiser, it says, in, in, in understanding visions and dreams. And this is gonna come in handy a few chapters later. His faithfulness, Daniel's faithfulness to the Lord is rewarded, it seems. And maybe this even serves as a simple reminder to the leadership here to the rock leaders and parents and small group leaders that our wisdom is tied to our holiness, our obedience. God gives understanding and usefulness to those who are faithful to him. Righteous living and spiritual discernment are inseparable. But the, but the case of Daniel's blessing or his trials is not rep up nicely in either camp. Yes, Daniel is saved, but he's also in captivity. And spoiler alert, he'll remain captive his entire life until he's over 90 years old. He will see his own people enslaved for many decades. He will see them bow down to pagan gods. He will never again see his homeland. Even the visions and prophecies that God will grant him include predictions of his own suffering, his people's suffering. It seems like a mixed bag with, with our earthly perspective. It's so hard to think that this is an outright win for a faithful exile. Well, maybe we need to shed our earthly perspective and start to adopt a Daniel eternal perspective. Daniel reminds us that as exiles, there is a greater reality. That life as we know it is not the end of all things. It's not even the bulk of our existence. Daniel's life in exile, our life in exile is part of the story. We just have to remember it ain't the end of the story. We are immortal beings whose spiritual welfare is being prepared and protected beyond the limitations of this earthly existence. Hebrews says that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And, and the rewards of faithfulness are guaranteed. But they're not always immediate, are they? They may not even happen in this lifetime. Oh, but Christian, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. One last thing about the rewards, if you will, of faithfulness, of daring to be a Daniel in Babylon. Daniel's stand for holiness 
uh, clearly had an effect on others. When Daniel stood his ground, he didn't do it in a vacuum. It, it served as a witness for others. In a few weeks, we'll hear about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Folks, can I tell you something? Your faithfulness serves as a witness to those around you. Um, through our holiness, we demonstrate our trust in, our loyalty to, our Lord. In fact, we're actually participating in the proclamation of God's great name when we live a different life, an exiled life. If Daniel would risk position and privilege, life itself, for an undefiled relationship with his God, then that must be quite a relationship. And that must be quite a God. And so we know from later prophecies of Daniel that the people of Israel are going to go through many generations of heartache. Um, And I'm sure at times they wondered, is God faithful? Does he care? Uh, Can he protect us? And maybe they would look at the story of Daniel. I know they would. who, Who stood as a true story witness to them that even though their present may be difficult, God is greater and he is faithful. And you know what? In 2023, we are also witnesses to God's faithfulness through the, the preserving witness of Daniel. And, um, and it points to Jesus, doesn't it? Uh, by preserving a person named Daniel, God was preserving a nation called Israel in order to send a savior to save someone with my name and your name and 10,000 times 10,000 more people just like us. So folks, while you might be looking for some great strategic plan to save our culture, maybe what God is just calling us today is just to say yes. Yes to the next simple request of his. Yes to the choice to be obedient when you have the choice to be disobedient. A choice to be holy when you could be compromised. To make a stand in simple matters of Christian integrity and calling. It's often not dramatic and there may not be an audience, but a stand always separates us from the ways of the world. And you won't be making this stand alone, by the way. You'll be standing in his strength and his power and his grace. We may be exiles, but we serve a God who is large and in charge, the one who is in control of who's in control, the God who is bigger than our Babylon.